Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you today by summersf1.co.uk, making F1 tech easier to understand, and by Bradley Philpott's YouTube channel, just search Brad Dude 2 k and be sure to check out his latest series on navigating the Nordschleife. I'm your host, Matt Trumpet, and today's episode is called Tech Tonic Shifts. And I am joined by the hardest working man in Tech F1. It is Summers F1, better known as Matthew Summerfield. Great to have you back, Summers. It's great to be back and uh, happy, uh, happy evening to you there, Matt. Well, thank you very much. It's it's not quite evening yet, but um, and of course, now that we've tipped uh, ourselves around the meridian, the days are just getting longer and longer and longer. And the white balance on my camera does love that very much. So before we get going any further, I do need to remind everyone that we are indeed an independent podcast supported by you, the listener. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute, at least when there are races. We might be wrong, but we're first. And finally, and most importantly, this show is indeed safe for work. We are keeping it clean here so you can play this with the kids in the background or at work. And with that said, if you want to join the live stream, and I cannot stress enough, you should absolutely join the live stream. If nothing else, the chat room experience alone makes it worthwhile. What you need to do is you need to find Mr. Apex Podcast on YouTube and subscribe. That's it. Click the little bell icon once you do this and you'll get a notification when we go live and you can come talk to all sorts of fun people about all things Formula One and not just the stuff that we talk about on the show. The chat room has a life of its own. So what say, Mr. Summers, that we get started by doing a little bit of talk about the 2018 development? So we've made it to Barcelona, and Barcelona is, by all accounts, where we find um, where it's like the first quarter of the season. The big updates show up, and we start to get a real sense of how all of the teams are doing. So, um, you know, who would you say right now, um, like talking about the top teams, who would you say is really sort of hitting on all cylinders? Like who's who's got their act together? Who's at the head of the class right now? Well, you can't really look much further than Mercedes and Ferrari in that respect, Matt, as, as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, um, Mercedes have struggled in the start of the season. Um, it's certainly not the, the, the sort of uh, previous year's advantages that we've seen from them in terms of their raw pace. Um, but they, you know, they, they do have decent race pace. They may not be there for qualifying all the time. Um, and, and certainly Ferrari have definitely upped their game for, for 2018 uh, when we look back at how 
know they've they've performed um, pre sort of twenty seventeen. Um, they're they're really starting to to make strides again now. Okay, and, and is there anything in particular then from these teams that 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 strikes you as odd or unusual? I mean. I know certainly for me, um, uh, Andy Cowell saying that Ferrari had the better engine right now would seem to be a bit of a surprise at the last uh, at the last presser. But what's really going on there? Well, obviously, we had this situation um, towards the middle of last season where there was the oil burn controversy, um, and we had a situation where uh, the the amount of oil that could be burnt for air to race has been dramatically reduced. That's obviously had an impact on everybody. Um, but it would appear that Mercedes have been hit particularly hard with that. Um, what we're talking about there is they're using the oil to burn it as fuel. So there's there's a chemical uh, reaction effectively happening in the combustion chamber. And part of the oil that, that is going into the combustion chamber is being used as fuel. Um, again, you won't completely eradicate this this sort of thing. And obviously, the manufacturers are all looking for ways to improve thermal efficiency and efficiency in general. So obviously, being able to use the oil uh, as a method of, of fueling the car will, will obviously continue. Uh, but the avenues in which that, that can happen have been closed down quite dramatically. How is it even possible? Because I thought that the extra tanks had been removed. I thought that all of this sort of behavior. But but what are what are they up to that's allowing them to continue this pattern of behavior? Well, it's all about the nuance of the regulations, isn't it? You know, they may have limited the scope in which that these uh, were being flagrantly um, opposed in in previous seasons. But I, I do feel that uh, there are still ways in which that the oil burning can still be achieved. Um, it's just a lessened effect. Um, but obviously, the, st- the effect is still there. And if you can find a, a, an advantage over your rival, as has been perhaps Mercedes' um, strongest case in the last three to four seasons under the hybrid regulations then you know then that's where you kind of get your advantage over your your rivals and it appears that ferrari have managed to find a a nuance within the regulations that allows them to to beat mercedes in that respect if that's the case uh, this is not the only complaint that we've had about uh ferrari it's also been stated that they are um doing some shenanigans shall we say with the um with the electrics as well particularly with the MG UK and the energy store what do you really think is going on well i think there's bo- there's both there obviously all all of the teams will try to negate the performance advantage that their the other teams actually have over them so you'll always get a a factor of complaint about um their rival their rival teams it happened whilst mercedes were there at the front of the grid it's happened when red bull were there obviously aero dominated rather than uh power unit regulated so yeah it, it, you know it's just a case of the teams trying to work out we have this these technical directives, et cetera, which allow uh, the teams to speak to Charlie Whiting and um, the technical department in the FIA to try to work out, for argument's sake, what's actually being done by the their opposition. Um, and and it's just a, a back and forth. Um, we're just trying to work out the the nuance in the regulations and how each of the teams can can gain some kind of performance advantage advantages from from the the differences in those those small bits of the regulations and just quickly going to your um question about the electrical energy that's being used by ferrari again i think this might be um more along the lines of perhaps people not specifically suggesting that ferrari are cheating um but trying to understand how they are deploying their energy in such a way that um they are gaining uh, what would be perceived to be more energy from the system. So if we go back to the energy matrix uh, within the regulations, the MGUK can only actually take four megajoules of energy from the energy store. Um, but if you were to take that four megajoules of energy from the store at the full rate of 120 kilowatts, you would run out within 33.33 seconds. So there's always been a case whereby energy is taken or harnessed from the MGUH as well. Now, when you do that, there's less losses between the AC to DC conversion. And I think that might be some of 
where we're talking about the the difference the between each of these systems and it's part of where honda really struggled when they first come into the sport it's where a lot of the heat and energy loss occurred in 2014 when the 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 manufacturers were really trying to get on top of uh, the hybrid regulation so i think it's just really everything's being narrowed down to such a point whereby um the performance now is is so negligible that you have to really try to get on top of your your adversary's um advantages okay so that's ferrari done and dusted um and oddly I guess, for what everybody was probably expecting after testing, Mercedes, uh, outside of Australia and Barcelona, really seemed to be playing a bit of catch-up this year. What's up with their development program? Well, they're in a bit of a stark contrast to the, the, the way that they've operated in the last few years. Ordinarily, I'd expect Mercedes to turn up in Spain, having understood what's gone on in the first few races, and have a huge amount of development parts. And that just wasn't the case in Spain this year. They had very little, actually, to pop onto the car. Um, And again, I think it's this trade-off whereby they are trying to understand what losses they've had from the power unit and how that's affecting them from an aerodynamic perspective. So obviously, we, we know that Red Bull, for argument's sake, will trim their car down to account for the fact that you know they're, they're a little let little down on power compared because of their Renault power unit um so if you imagine Mercedes may be thinking that they've lost a few horsepower compared to Ferrari they too may be looking at ways in which that they can improve their aerodynamic performance in order to you know mitigate the losses in in terms of horsepower um and I think that's where we have seen Mercedes perhaps taking a step towards that in terms of setup um, and it has caught them out on a, on a couple of occasions already this season. Um, we've, we've, you know, we've hey, they've had to set the car up. They're losing balance, um, and I also think this might be the reason why we, we're really starting to see Botas um, kind of come to the fore in in his challenge against Lewis Hamilton. He's been used to this sort of um, let's just say less able car when he was at Williams. Um, so yeah, I do I do think that it's a case of perhaps. Uh, Mercedes are, are kind of trying to understand their whole package before they make some big updates um, that we may see around Hungary um, that will will sort of rectify some of the issues that they've started to see. Okay, so in a weird way, that's sort of the opposite of what we saw happen with Verstappen when he first stepped up into the Red Bull at Monaco, where we'll be next week. And uh, he was so used to the way that Toro Rosso turned in that he literally just drove into the barrier because he just wasn't used to the car actually going exactly where he pointed it. He was used to having those margins and having to play uh, with a little bit of sloppiness. So you think that that that's where Mercedes is in terms of understanding the balance of the car. They're not all the way there yet. Yeah, and obviously we haven't got spanners here, so he can't tell me off for using the word tires. Um, uh, you know, we we can we can have a whole show on the the topic of tires, but unfo- you know, it's it is. Uh, an area of massive performance advantage or disadvantage to any given team or driver. And if you have a problem with your setup, that will also have an impact on your tyres and the way in which you're not only using them over a very short stint or how you use trying to use them over an extended life period or a, a bigger stint, um, your strategy. It all plays into the fact that if you can't use the tyres correctly, um, then obviously you're going to struggle. And I think, you know, Mercedes are kind of having to sit back, analyse and understand where they actually sit within the framework of the other teams. The biggest destabilising factor in that respect is Red Bull because they always just play the opposite card, um, which obviously then puts them in the mix and means that both Ferrari and Mercedes inevitably end up second-guessing their own strategy choices. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a fascinating battle in terms of, where Mercedes will come out on, on in terms of performance at the end of this season, I think. Okay, well, you brought up Red Bull. How are they doing? Um, well, I, I think it's, again, a case of Red Bull deciding to split strategies um, by being defensive about the new regulations, which are obviously aero regulations um, that, you know, an area where they are particularly strong. Um, you taking away some of their toys effectively. I know we're going to come on to the 2019 re- regulations later, and I'll try to explain that in a bit more detail. But 
you know, you're effectively taking one of one of their big guns out of their arsenal um, in, in the way in which that these new regulations will um, deal with the front wing, for argument's sake. So I, I, I can understand where they're coming from because they, they've really been chasing hard. And they, the only way that they can chase this hard is through aerodynamic development because they are lagging behind in terms of the, their power unit with, with the Renault. So, yeah, they're... You know, for me, Red Bull are, are really having to go in the opposite direction almost every single race in order to try and put themselves um, in, into the mix. Um, but in terms of their development, they have been particularly aggressive again this season. Um, they've brought forward all of their developments uh, when, when you look at how it corresponds to last season. Uh, the big update that they made around the midriff of the car last year, which really started to unlock the potential of the RB13, has come for Spain this year. So I really expect uh, Red Bull to, to sort of understand the car uh, much earlier in the season this time around and perhaps start to take um, the fight to the, to the lead duo um, as, as the rest of the season unfolds. One of the biggest problems they've had is that their power unit simply lacks compared to the Ferrari or the Mercedes, and power units are being discussed a lot in the chat room right now. So why don't we start with the Renault power unit real quick? And we've just heard news not too long ago that their, um, I believe it was the MGUK development, has been put off yet again because it is both too heavy and too unreliable. Is that actually what's going on? And if that's the case... Is Red Bull ever going to see a power unit from Renault that rivals what they had at the end of the V8 regulations? Um, I think the answer to that realistically is no. I mean, we've seen Renault go through these problems even in the V8 era. If you remember rightly, they had a lot of alternator issues in the V8 era where they had alternators failing left, right and centre with both drivers. And it was when they were really pushing hard on the exhaust blown diffuser technology. Um, so it's nothing new, really, for Renault in terms of um, having problems with ancillary components. Um, the MG UK, there's only a limitation to its performance gain because at the end of the day, its maximum capacity is 120 kilowatts. It can't go beyond that scope because that is its limitation according to the, the energy scheme. Um, so, again, it comes down to weight and packaging. Um, I don't see that there's a massive amount to, amount to be gained in terms of being able to to change that MGUK, aside from the fact, obviously, that you can make things a little more compact. But Red Bull have even gone even further in that respect when it, when they released their package in Spain, because they've completely redesigned the the way in which the architecture of the the ancillaries are placed within the the side pods. So they've already gone to that 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 high depth. And I don't see them being able to make many more gains on it. I think the gains in that respect, if the MG UK ever does come through, will be for the, the, other, the other customer team in McLaren um, and Renault themselves, um, the works team. They'll be able to reap the benefits because they'll be able to go that little bit tighter where Red Bull will just push the limits irrespective. That being the case, uh, Red Bull do have a decision staring at them regarding Honda. Uh, we see where Renault is. How has Honda's power unit development come this year? And, and where do you think Red Bull will ultimately go with their choice? Well, it's a big decision that, that Red Bull face because obviously whoever they take on as their power supplier for this year is effectively locking them in place until 2021. Um, and that's obviously when we get the, the supposed new power unit regulations being put in place. Now, I'm not entirely convinced that um, the new power unit regulations will actually come in in 2021. I think they may be staved off just purely to um, allow for the, the negotiation factor that we have with Mercedes, Ferrari and Renault. I'm not quite sure Honda are really bothered either, either which way because they're in an infinite spending loop um, whereby they're just playing catch up. So the, the Honda power unit, though, has has made some progress. Um, it's obviously a little bit more reliable as well compared to, to previous years. So uh, in my opinion, I, I think that we'll find that Red Bull will make the switch, um, but it re ultimately comes down to numbers and how much more development budget that's going to be placed in Red Bull's hands if they do take on the Honda. And, and that, that makes sense to me too. I, I feel like they've walked this road with Renault for quite some time. Yeah, they, they'd, they'd become the de facto Honda works team. 
that that's the way to look at it and and in that situation Honda uh, Honda were perhaps held back at McLaren in respect of the way in which Honda um were not allowed to have an impact on the chassis design let's say um, I'm not so sure that that would be the case at Red Bull. I think there would be some allowances made by Red Bull to to suit the characteristics of the Honda Power Unit, just as Toro Rosso have done themselves. Um, you know, there's there's a more mutually beneficial relationship with Toro Rosso and Honda um, in, in that respect. Uh, and so I do see um, a point at which that we'll see a Honda deal emerge. But you never know. This is Formula One. Yes, indeed. You do never know. And that is part of what makes it fun. So let's talk about about Honda's X a bit, because uh, of all of the developments that we've seen, uh, I suppose the one that has caused the most press is, well, the snout of the McLaren that showed up in, in, in Barcelona. You do have some thoughts on that, and I cannot wait to hear them. Yeah, well, it's a, a rather large revamp. Um are supposed to unlock the potential of the MCL 33, um, and yeah, it, it's a it's a very aggressive design. It's not very aesthetically pleasing, if you ask me, um, and it and it basically steals a lot of ideas from from other manufacturers. Um, it's got the Mercedes sort of cape underneath it um, to drive the airflow underneath the nose um, and redirect the airflow around the front end of the car. Um, it's also got um, a couple of inlets in the in, well, it's actually got a triple inlet in in the front, uh, very Red Bull style nose inlet, and also the two alongside, which is an idea that Sauber have run with, um, which was obviously a, an idea that came about from Force India. Um, so it's a continued development of those ideas. But what is very interesting are these slats that come up the side of the nose to energize the the lower end of the sort of the upper end of the cape. Um, and take airflow from the nose, which is a very flat design when you compare it to some of the other the, the other designs on the grid, um, and then just sweep this airflow around, which perhaps was a bit inefficient in with the previous design. So yeah, it's a very interesting design. It was supposed to be on the car in Australia, um, so we're five races late. Um, and I, obviously, because of the complexity of the nose, I'm, I do question the fact whether um, it struggled in the crash testing. And this is the reason why we've ended up with it coming a little late to the party. Well, it, it could indeed be that. But we saw even in Grand Prix Driver that it, it seems like for the past several seasons, they were they have struggled to produce all of the parts for testing. Yeah, and you do have to think of the budgetary constraints of these type of developments. This was a huge financial undertaking, um, and you have to wonder when you look at the the amount of sponsors on the McLaren as to how you know they're they're actually funding what they're doing um, going forward, and and how that has an impact on their development. You know, they can't spend the like the, the money the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari. They don't have that spending power, so they have to be more efficient with their design. Um, they don't even have the spending power of Red Bull. So you know that that's kind of where they're at. That they're, they're they're I would imagine at the front of the midfield along with Renault in terms of how much that they're currently spending on their their aerodynamic development packages. Yeah, and we actually have some uh, late breaking news about that that we might get to later. But in a nutshell, it looks like McLaren Inc., the group that contains both the automotive and the racing team, uh, have received a large infusion of cash. Uh, reportedly from a company uh, affiliated with uh, Nicholas Latifi's father, to the tune of about 200 million pounds. So perhaps that will um, wind up aiding them, given the uh, complete and total lack of sponsors, other than Camoa, which of course is Fernando Alonso's own clothing company. Yeah, and you have to think that, you know, is that funding Fernando's driving? Has he been allowed to put those sponsors on the car to, to allow for him to to pay part of his wages? Effectively, he's using sponsorship as as a as a leverage against the 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 wages that he isn't receiving. And when you you talk about figures like two hundred million, you know this is huge. You look at the likes of what budget was bought to Williams um, for the, the the pay drivers that they've effectively. Uh, got this season uh, and and it dwarfs those in comparison so um, we're talking like force india a year's force india budget 200 million so yeah i'd like to actually see that check um to see if it's uh, see if it's real 
Well, what's interesting about it is, is, is reportedly it's a share purchase, not simply a direct purchase of space on the car. But I have a longstanding theory that the end of the road really was the beginning of their adventure in the car business. Yeah, well, that was the beginning of the end of the Mercedes relationship. Um, uh, and basically, that, that's what saw Mercedes, sorry, McLaren in search of uh, another power unit supplier in, in, the, in the shape of Honda. Um, so, yeah, it was a long drawn out process in which obviously the, the, the car and the racing divisions kind of didn't help one another. So it comes down to having outside interest and racing uh, and how they combine. Um, I, I think only really sort of Ferrari have been able to make that sustainable over a long period of time. But that's also the model that Ferrari very much started with. They didn't try and shift their business model, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30 years into running it. They started out that way. And um, yeah, as I think Tesla and a lot of other people are finding out, it's pretty hard to start a car company from scratch and succeed. But we'll, we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see what happens. So speaking of seeing what happens, uh, we've had one or two teams that really have struggled this year. And I think one of them was no surprise at all, but the other was a total surprise. Or maybe not a total surprise, because we heard rumors about cash flow problems. But generally, a bit of a surprise to see Force India not getting stuff to work. And so what's going on with them, and what do you think that's about? Well, I think firstly, as, you, as you've just mentioned, the cash flow situation will have hurt them dramatically um, because it has a massive impact on how they go about developing the car, um, maybe even to the point of stalling development. Um, and obviously, we've seen that they're, they, when they first turned up with their car this year, it was almost last year's specification car. Um, which obviously is going to hurt them in terms of getting mileage on, on parts and understanding things. Um, when they've introduced new parts to the car, they're, they're just not working. Um, they've got, a, I'm not going to say a fundamental issue, but they have a major issue with the midriff of the car, um, the side pods and, and, and underfloor and, and you know, the, the central section of the car is not working as they expected it to. Um, in Spain, they were actually running numerous tests with different airflow um, devices attached to the side of the side pods to try to get data um, in the post-race test. Um, we've seen that they've been splashing flovies all over the car in the last few races as well to try and understand these problems. And they've made some sort of blunt um, decisions in terms of adding little bits to the car to try to rectify these problems, these airflow problems. Um, but they've been re relatively unsuccessful so far. Um, and uh, from what I've read from Andrew Green, they they really are struggling in terms of being able to bring a big enough development to be able to make it worthwhile because they, you know, they've, they've had problems with the way in which that everything inside the side pods is working as well. And that obviously has an impact on the, the airflow characteristics in, in its totality. So yeah, it's a, it's a fairly big problem. Um, and, um, it, it's a strange one, really, considering they haven't gone with the sort of really aggressive side pod design like Ferrari did last year. And we've seen a lot of other teams chase this year. They're relatively similar to the design that they had last year. So to me, it speaks of a problem from internal flow structures, more so than perhaps the external flow structures. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're trying to rectify these problems. Um, but it seems that they may also have correlation issues with the wind tunnel, which, as we know, can can be problematic in getting that performance back yeah it can be and so when when you say internal flow structures what exactly are you referencing there so i'm talking about the um the flow around sort of radiators intercoolers um oil coolers the electronic boxes within the side pods etc um you know that their layouts um and the way that air flows through them and out the back of the car can can be instrumental in the performance of the, the car, um, not only from a cooling perspective, but from an aerodynamic perspective. Um, so that's where I see that, that, that there's perhaps some problems. Um, and changing those those design constructs can be very difficult mid-season unless you have a rather large budget. Um, we've just seen Red Bull go through that phase and they've made large changes to, to the RB14 um, in, in Spain. 
But, you know, they have the budget to be able to do such things. Um, For Cinder, unfortunately, don't have that kind of budget available to them. No, they don't. And it was made worse by um, not being allowed to get some of their prize money early, uh, which they requested at the beginning of the year. But so this sounds like this is basically an issue that they're not going to solve this year. Yeah, it would appear that way. It would appear that we're going to see a car that is struggling throughout the season. Um, And I would imagine that Force India will throw uh, a lot of the resource from this year across to next year's car, uh, especially with the new regulations coming into place. A team like Force India will make an earlier switch just to to try to get an advantage out of the new regulations. Right. And just as a a follow-up to that, would it be uh, possible for them simply to revert to something they worked they knew worked better to try and maximize points at certain races i would imagine that that's something that force india will be looking at is, is actually looking at the races in that they know from the, the the type of car that they're currently running that they'll be able to maximize the chance of getting points um, and i would imagine that we'll see them focus on those particular races and we'll see the updates come through for those particular races um, rather than pinning their hopes on a car that you know is compliant throughout every single race so that brings us to everybody's favorite tale of woe williams and it just oh my goodness it, it just seems to be an endless endless challenge there and nothing ever goes well for them no, and and this car was supposed to be a big step forward. They've put a huge amount of resource into this car. It's hugely different to last year's car from an aerodynamic perspective, and yet they have still got fundamental issues. Um, you know, it's it's almost undrivable in, in certain situations, and and that obviously doesn't inspire confidence for their drivers. Um, they're all at sea is the simple answer um and i don't see that changing anytime soon uh this car is not going to improve dramatically throughout the season and it almost puts them as plumb last on the grid in that respect um and and obviously the the other major issue that they have is having two very young drivers um and not being able to set up the car that is fundamentally broken um is a is insurmountably challenging for those drivers we saw that robert kibitza stepped in in testing at spain and obviously impressed uh with his performance once more um because he he's used to this sort of setup work when when he has a problematic car to work with so um i, I know he's going to feature again in a, in a few test sessions or pre pre uh, free practice sessions in the rest of the year but it might be actually advantageous for them to actually put him in more in, in free practice sessions to just try to get or to dial in the car uh, for, for their race drivers perhaps right well i thought i had heard patty Lowe saying that they realized even in the first days of the winter test that they had a fundamental problem but it seems like there's not really anything that they're able to do about it do you have any insight into what that specifically was um, reportedly, they have a problem with the way that the the floor reacts um, under certain condi- under certain flow conditions, which to me smacks of a problem from uh, a suspension issue. Um, so you, you know, depending on how the car is pitching and rolling, um, you're going to have a different kind of response from the aerodynamics of the car as well. Now, if you if you're s- center of pressure is constantly changing because your suspension and aerodynamics aren't quite aligned with one another then it's going to be a rather uncomfortable ride for the driver and we've seen both lance and sergey have problems in terms of the balance of the car um having multiple spins etc and the car just doesn't seem to behave how it should life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Do it lets go when it shouldn't, um, which obviously speaks of a, an aerodynamic instability built within the car. Okay, sorry, I have a question from the chat room for you, uh, okay. which is they would like to know if the Force India issue is in any way related to um, them having to add the halo onto the survival cell, or if you think it's just fundamentally something entirely different that that was at play there. I'm not going to blame it directly, but it has had a massive budgetary impact on the team. If you imagine how much resource they would have had to put into getting that on the car. Also, you have to remember that the halo is a lot of weight high up on the car. So if you've made some fundamental error in your calculations in terms of the the movement of uh, that weight, um, then that could also have an impact. Um, so yeah, the, the halo has had an impact. There's no two ways about it. But obviously, every team has come across that problem. Um, it's just how each team has devoted the resources to dealing with that particular problem. And when you're in the sort of lean area that Force India are, it will have absorbed more resource than they would have liked. So talk to me now. Um, let's go back to Williams. Let's talk about um, Kubica. Do you think they would be better off putting Kubica into one of those seats for the remainder of the season? Or do you think that if fundamentally the car itself is so flawed that it really isn't going to make a lot of difference uh, for the rest of the year? It depends on the points that you want to accrue and who can pick those points up. Because if you've got a fundamentally flawed car and you have two very young drivers in there that can't maximise the performance over a race distance, or you have, say, a Robert Kubica or Roland or whoever else is sitting in the wings waiting to drive that car, if you have somebody else that can can make um, the car perform better over a race distance, then yes, perhaps there there is um, cause to, to replace the drivers. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the fundamental problem here is is one of design, and that is not down to the drivers that are in those seats. You know that they're, they're just a part of, the, or a, you know, a cog in the, in the machine as such. Um, fundamentally, I think you have to look at Williams and the way in which that they've produced this car, and that's where the blame should lie. Um, and, and ultimately, I think you'll find that they will abandoned development again very early on this car um much like force india because of budget and and move on to to next season's design rather rapidly just because you know they they know that they have problems with this car okay um so before we move on and talk about what we've heard about the upcoming 2019 regulations which very exciting things are going to change there will be lots of whining involved is there any other team that you particularly wish to mention for any other reason I just think that perhaps Sauber are the surprise of the season for most people um, because they've made quite a significant leap forward. Um, from a technical perspective, they are, seem to be operationally better. Um, Ericsson's driving the car better. Um, and obviously, they've got Charles Leclerc obviously get, getting uh, maximum amount of points for them as well. Um, having adapted his driving style by all accounts to, to suit um the hybrid regulations because he he believes that once he started to change and adapt um, how he drove, um, he he was starting to get better, better results from the car. So uh, yeah, it's basically a shout out to Sauber 
Um, I'm, I'm quite impressed with what they've done. I did say before the start of the season that I thought that they'd make a bit of a leap. But um, yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised with what's been going on down in Hinwell. All right, then let's go ahead and talk about some 2019 regulations. All right, so we've heard a lot about these new proposed changes uh, to make overtaking better and to solve problems. And presumably, these changes are based on research that's being added up by Ross, the savior of F1 Braun. And so therefore, they can be nothing but good and work perfectly, right? Um, yes and no. Uh, yes, they've been dealt with by Ross and his over, overtaking working group, his um, F1 commission, whatever you want to call them. Um, that They have worked on these particular ideas, but they're not um, ideas that were brought to fruition to, to be brought in so quickly. These are ideas that have been used in the overall design structure of the, the 2021 regulations um, and then obviously extrapolated towards this might work, this might improve what we currently have, Let, do we give it a shot? Um, what is interesting is that the teams were given um, unlimited CFD capabilities um, to test solutions on the front wing uh, because obviously there was so much debate as to whether it would work within the teams. Um, uh, and that data was then obviously shared amongst the teams confidentially um, to, to prove that, you know, this either works or doesn't work, uh, which is obviously quite a staggering thing for Formula One for, for them to make such a, a bold statement and, and move um, and, and quite an interesting one. Um, and it's also interesting that the, the regulations actually went through because obviously it needed unanimous decision in order to, to, to make that happen. Okay, so why don't you start by running down some of the things that they have already agreed to? Okay, so prior to these aerodynamic regulations, there were some changes that were already brought in for 2019, uh, one of which was an increase in fuel capacity by 5 kilograms, which takes us up now to 110 kilograms for race fuel, or that's the maximum amount of race fuel you can put on board the car, um, which was supposed to reduce the amount of lift and coast that the drivers would um, do during a race. Um, I'll come back to that later because I think it's quite important um, with the new era regulations. Um, but also on top of that, um, the debate over the halo being added and the increase of weight, etc., has brought on the, the problem with the, the drivers and their diet and um, fitness regimes that have to go through again recently. And so for 2019, the driver and the seat will have a, a maximum will have a weight of 80 kilograms, um, a combined weight. So if the driver weighs less than 80 kilograms with his seat, there will be a ballasted amount put onto the onto the seat um, to, to bring that in line. Uh, so those were the, the sort of headline changes ahead of the aero changes. Okay. And so, I mean, just correct me if I'm wrong, but does this ultimately mean that simply the cars will be even heavier than they already were? And and if that's the case, are they just literally kicking the can down the road to 2021 when supposedly they'll be getting rid of the MGUH, which will take a lot of weight back off of the car? Um, yeah, we're kicking the can down the road. Um, do you know how much an MGUH weighs? No, actually, I do not. Okay, so my thinking on this is that the MGUH weighs perhaps five to eight kilograms. Um, not a significant amount when we're talking about saving weight. Um, and the energy store, if we are to continue to use the amount of energy that is currently being used or upped to obviously deal with the losses that you're getting from having um, the, the reduction on the MGUH, means that the energy store might actually get bigger, um, not be lessened so i'm i'm struggling with the whole weight issue for 2021 and and how we're actually going to lose a load of weight but you know we'll wait and see where they where they get to when uh when we see some actual regulations in that respect yeah well maybe it's time to uh let go of all of the materials restrictions on the actual construction of these things so they can be made lighter with more advanced but admittedly more expensive materials so uh, getting on to the um, front wing, the front wing seems to be the biggest area of change. 
Okay, so firstly, the reason that we're changing the the front wing design is because um, the FIA, FOM, and the team's investigation work with CFD has highlighted the fact that everybody is using what we call outwash front wings. So you have all of these turning vanes, cascades, um, and, and end plate designs that push the airflow out and around the front of the tyre. So what the what the changes are supposed to be coming in for 2019 is that the front wing will be wider. It will be 100 millimetres overall uh, wider than it is now, so up to 1900 mil. It will be 25 millimetres deeper and 25 millimetres taller. So that obviously allows you to create more downforce with the front wing. However, they are going to make it so that you can only have five flap sections on the outer part of the wing. That will be the maximum. Whereas now, if you count up the cascade elements, which are stacked on top of the normal wing elements, somebody like Red Bull has 14 or 15 elements. So it's dramatically reducing the amount of elements that the the front wing should have. It also means that they can't stack wings like the cascades and they can't have the turning vanes. And they've also reduced the impact or the size, the box dimension of the end plate itself. So they're going from 90 millimetres down to 40 millimetres, which reduces the outwash potential that the, that the end plate has as well. Going back to what you were saying, Matt, basically the, the front wing reductions are all about changing the outwash profile of the front wing um, to improve the way in which that the, the flow moves downstream and has an impact on the, the, the following car. How is it that the outwash impacts the trailing car more negatively than let's say they've made the rear wing bigger so we're going to see that air just like jetting over the top of of the trailing car why isn't that a problem and why is the outwash so much of a problem okay so again it's a the the problem with outwash design front wings is one of those areas where it's an unintended consequence of the regulations it takes us back to 2009 and when the overtaking working group bought in the original front wing design that was as wide as the car and their interpretation of that was to improve the efficiency drag versus downforce that is created by the front tires um, in order that obviously it changes the weight profile downstream now these changes go even further than that because what they're actually doing is the car will effectively be draggier than this year's car because you will no longer be changing the shape or the wake that the tire creates um so the the wash that goes out of the floor will now come back in onto the car um, which is obviously going to be a problem in terms of creating rear downforce so you're gaining in as much as that the you'll improve the the following car's aerodynamic profile but you're also destroying part of the downforce that the car itself is creating so you you're sort of creating a compound effect you're you're both negatively impacting you're right, the, the lead car, but improving the trailing car's aerodynamic performance. So basically, I'm understanding that there's a fundamental difference between air that you just that you term wash and the air that we get coming off, let's say, the, the top of the rear wing. Yes. And that difference is that the wash is turbulent and is less usable. There's layers to turbulence, though. This is the difference. Um, A a rear wing turbulence is very different structurally to the wake problem that you have from a tyre because you have to remember that the tyre is organic. It's always moving. Not only are we thinking about the left-to-right movement of the front tyre, you're also thinking about the compression of the tyre as well in terms of the way that the tyre deforms. So you're always creating this very erratic turbulent airflow and the idea of what the outwash does is it drags that turbulent airflow away from the floor behind now these rules will and and what you do by shaping that wake is you also reduce the amount of drag that is being created by the front tire Um, if you think about it unchecked the the amount of drag that's created by the tires alone is huge so um, that's what you're going to do. You're going to end up with a draggier car. You're going to end, end up with airflow that is dragged back in under the, the floor and around the side pods, and teams will have to make adaptations to, to counteract that. Um, what we're going to end up with is, is a less, a less well-performing car, effectively. Um, I, I, I would imagine we're going to be maybe two, one and a half seconds slower next year just purely down to the fact that the cars will have less downforce and and be a little bit draggier 
Yeah, but will we not expect the teams to, as as they've done every other time, these regulations change, will we not expect that to be clawed back over the course of the next couple of seasons? That's part one of my question. And part two is, if um, if I'm understanding it correctly, it's really the variability that you're talking about in terms of the wash from from the from the tires negatively affecting the trailing vehicles. If that's the case, are, are we actually looking at a situation where teams may have been using that on purpose to make it harder on the cars behind them? Um, I'll, I'll answer the question too first, as it's clearly clearer in my head. And I think that the, the thing that we have to think about here is that the, the reason we're doing what we're doing is to try to improve performance within the corners rather than on the straights. DRS became a tool to be used in order to close the, the problem on the straights um, by getting the cars to be able to follow each other closer through the corners, which these regulations are attempting to do. You will have a point whereby that DRS becomes an effective tool uh, whereby you come off the the, the corner closer to the, the car that you've just trailed uh, and obviously then you can complete the overtake uh, much easier and it means that these DRS straight DRS zones can actually be shortened um, in order to to change the way in which the the, the driving um, conditions occur um, and then obviously going back to the first question yes um, my first thing as soon as the regulations hit my desk is going to be drawing the wing that is possible or supposed to be possible and then my next few drawings are going to be how do I defeat the regulations um, and, and obviously if I'm doing that and Mercedes have got 500 designers doing that I know who's going to win out in that battle um, so yeah I, you know they can do they can change the rules all they like unfortunately they don't have as many people in the FIA and the FOM design offices as the teams do so they will always be defeated in these circumstances my biggest issue is that we've going with this particular regulation set so early before 2021 is you've kind of handed the teams an idea of where they're heading so have you already destroyed the advantage you were going to gain in 2021 uh, with the new car, for argument's sake. I know there's talks that this new 2021 design is going to be ra radically different to what we've currently got, but and I, I do think that you're, you're kind of giving the teams a, a little bit slack. Okay, um, but just for argument's sake, could this be exactly the sort of thing you might do just to see what the teams do so that you can make it illegal in the next set of regulations? I mean, just let them do that work for you since you don't have the engineers to keep up with them? Yeah, more more than possible. Obviously, that that could be a, ta a tactic of, of what's going on here, but um, I, I don't believe it is. I think it's just really we we we've stumbled into the 2017 regulations by upping downforce so drastically that it's had an impact on the way in which you know we're used to racing. Um, the 2009 to 2016 regulations were all about cutting downforce down, whereas 2017 was a massive ramp up, and we're still ramping downforce up at this moment. So um, the maturity is only going to ever improve in Formula One, and the fidelity of those design decisions are always going to improve. If I now look back at a 2009 car, which I at the time thought was quite radical, it looks very, very basic right now. So, you know, that's the kind of design um, progress that you see in, in that, that sort of timescale. And, and as, as you say, it lends towards the teams being able to make uh, progress rather rapidly. Okay. Well, that, that makes a reasonable amount of sense. Now, in looking at the other proposed changes, it's not just the front wing and the rear wing we're talking about. It's also a lot of the brake furniture. Yeah. I mean, basically, the, the new regulations for, for brake ducts will eradicate anything that flows um, airflow through it so instead of having these sort of blown axles or crossover pipe work that blows air out of the wheel face and reduces the turbulence that's created by by the wheel and the the tire itself um, those will be eradicated and also the fins that are attached to the vertical fence are, are going as well so there's a massive overhaul in that respect. And as you say, they're all about conditioning the flow and they're all about improving what happens with the tyre, irrespective of what behaviour it's in, whether it's, you know, uh, moving left or right or deforming under load, etc. So it's going to have an impact on how um, the, the performance happens downstream. And again, it's all about uh, the connection of those devices with the front wing. So it's all about, in totality, reducing the effects of 
pushing air where it shouldn't be going in in form in fom's respect and the fia's respect they don't want this airflow being pushed outwards um because it obviously affects the trailing car um and obviously that that's having an effect with the how they're going to change the brake duct rules okay so i have a quick question about that which is am i wrong in thinking that blown axles were also being used to a certain extent to help deal with tire temperatures and keep tires in the window and then uh, Sarah Lee in the chat room also has a question uh, about the cars back in the day. Was there always a problem with dirty air? Like even back in the 80s and 90s when people like spanners weren't even alive? Or or has has that dramatically increased given the, the higher speeds and complexity of today's car? Well, obviously the, the complexity has a massive impact on, on the way in which the, the wake is created because you have more surfaces for the, the airflow to hit um, that creates different pressure gradients, which then means that that creates turbulence and you have a cascade effect. Effectively, all of these devices try to work in tandem with one another. Um, and obviously, if you start to remove those elements, then the, they don't, they, the chain falls apart. So, yeah, I mean, some of the I, I would suggest that we're talking sort of mid nineties where I would say that we were starting to pick up a lot more vortex generated um wake disturbance. Prior to that we were really da- down to sort of normal downforce uh creating items, you know, the front wings and rear wings and um the way in which that the floor worked. But now after that sort of nineties, early two thousands, and certainly you look at some of the sort of late two thousand cars, um you know, 2005 to 2008, those cars are just plastered in in vortex generating devices. And I remember the racing back then; it wasn't brilliant, and it was mainly mainly strategic decisions that that changed races on 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 those particular races. So, yeah, it's it's an historical problem, um, and one that obviously needed needs to be addressed. Um, but it's the level to which you address it and how you go about that. Because for me, I don't want a spec series where everybody looks like they've got the same designed car. Um, and we've already gone through this phase where everybody now minds about the power units being the differentiator. So if we've no longer got a power unit being the differentiator and everybody's got the same aero, are we not watching F1 IndyCar? Yeah, well, I don't think anybody wants that. So uh, talk then quickly about the rear wing. Yeah, I mean, they're basically trying to um, allow the designers to have the balance between the front and rear wing. So they're increasing the amount of downforce that can be generated from the front wing. They're reducing the amount of vortices that can be created by the front wing. So if you want to create more downforce at the front of the car, you want to balance that at the rear of the car. That's why they're offering them uh, an extra 20 millimeters of space in which to have their wing designs. However, it's not mandated you know, we only run at the maximum uh, races like Spain or Monaco or Singapore where you need full downforce anyway. So, you know, the likes of Red Bull, for argument's sake, are going to trim those elements down again um, to suit their particular characteristics. Um, if you want to have uh, that type of design, then you really want to mandate those box areas and make them design within those box areas. What this actual change will do is it will reduce the the impact the vortices have um from the trailing edge of the the rear wing um but also um it will improve the drs effect because technically you'll be able to have a larger drs top flap uh, which will obviously mean that you can improve your your drs range so again it's going to be a play around for a lot of the teams. Um, they'll be tossing up different ideas as to to what works best for them depending on which circuit they're they're heading towards Okay, clearly some uh, negatives will come along with those positives. What are, what are the negatives for the teams then? Cost is is perhaps the biggest negative um, because we're we're talking about changing the design of something that has been in place since 2014. Um, yes, we've had limited changes in terms of the actual um, leading edges of the front wing and the the slanted um, and and wider top edge of the the rear wing, but in terms of the actual design this is quite a big change um and obviously the teams that can invest the most money the earliest in understanding how they can make the changes are obviously going to benefit more um yes you can have cute designs that obviously improve your overall design but um yeah again it's going to come down to budgetary and resource factors in in terms of who can make the best from these regulations as far as i'm concerned okay and 
you had mentioned earlier the effect of the fuel increased and and lift in coast. Is this where we see that price exacted? It, it is because, as I mentioned, these regulation changes to the aero rules to me increase drag. Um, you, that may be marginalised depending on how the teams design their their front and rear wings in some respects, but to me the five kilograms that is being added to reduce lift and coast may have already been lost by the aero rule changes. And in fact, it may actually be worse. It may mean that drivers have to lift and coast even more to, to, to make some of the longer race distances, you know, sort of the Canada is all always marginal. Um, and there's lots of lifting and coasting goes on during that race. Um, and again, this is a topic that I find interesting because we have that in other forms of racing as well. It is a strategic element. If you look at IndyCar, for argument's sake, a lot of the drivers will lift and coast to try to make fuel mileage so that they can go an extra lap, for argument's sake. We have lift and coast in Formula E in, so that the drivers can conserve energy in order that they can make their their, their the, the last stint in the car um, a more effective um, energy usage. So for me, it's not so much of an issue, and it's been going on for, for for a long time in Formula One. The V8 era, they used to lift and coast. It was just not so prevalent. You didn't see it as much um, because you know the 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 media didn't pick on it, pick up on it so much. But um, yeah, going back to the, the 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 overall conversation, I do believe that the 110 kilograms is maybe going to be a little bit too too less um, with these aero rules. All right. Well, I wouldn't doubt your word on that. Any any other conclusions before we move on to the podium? Um, just that obviously there's a few people that I've spoken to or seen comments from um, regarding these new regulations and, oh, they don't go far enough and why don't we just go back to ground effect and, you know, the usual arguments. A lot of people asked for these decluttered front wings and now we're going to get them. Um, and I've been saying for a long time that the 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 front wings that we've evolved into are just purely down to the regulation set. So obviously now we're changing the regulations. You're getting what you want in, but don't expect the racing to change a whole whole amount because I don't think that that it necessarily will do. And ground effect, we don't have any real empirical proof that it will actually improve the racing. So until we've seen the studies um, that that can prove otherwise, then you know, I, I'm I'm sitting on the fence in terms of ground effects. Uh, I don't think it's the be all and end all that everybody thinks it is. IndyCar's last foray into um, the uh, aerodynamic body kits shows exactly what would happen in Formula One if we had more ground effects, because all they did was plaster the cars with vortex generating devices, which kind of then just ruined the fact that they had ground effects and they still couldn't follow in turbulent wake, and that's what would happen in Formula One. So. Um, I, I just don't see it having a plausible effect on, on the racing itself. But, you know, if, if the studies prove it in, in the future, then, yeah, we, we have to sit back and listen. And that's that for that. So, Summers, do tell us, where can we find you? What are you up to these days? Okay, so uh, Summers F1 on Twitter is usually the best place to find me because I update that quite regularly with all the different work that I do in in all the different places. I'm often found in the Mr. Apex Patreon um, group, F1 Tech, um, explaining things and giving out the links to my um, different pieces. Obviously, you can find my work on summersf1.co.uk, but mainly that's where you reside at the moment, Matt. Um, and obviously, I ha do have my own Patreon page where I do patron-only content. Um, I've got my own illustrations on there, um, and I do some uh, early release content as well. So, yeah, it's... Um, Obviously, you, you, you have to remember that obviously I'm working with motorsport.com as well and the great, uh, the great Giorgio Piola uh, and everybody else over there. Some of my work's going on autosport as well at the moment. So, yeah, all, all, all good. Everywhere you can find tech, you find summers at the moment. And this is a good thing because we here at Ms. Apex are firmly of the opinion you are not only the hardest working man in Formula One tech, but also by far the best and most approachable. So thank you for sharing this time with us and, and bringing so much to this project. And for me, well, everybody knows I'm Matt PT55 on the Twitters. Come say hi, watch me rant about politics or, you know, my daughter's day at school. Who knows? Could be anything, really. And remember, 
chicks dig heels, wounds cause scars, and glory is a fungible concept under certain philosophical precepts. This has been Missed Apex Podcast. All right, everybody. I see third quick. I see you there. We talked about Sauber earlier. Got a mention from Summers. In fact, Sauber did as being the only team that wasn't in the notes that were worth mentioning. They've done such a good job this year. So there's that. And of course, in inimitable Missed Apex podcast tradition, we now have comment of the week to dispense with, mostly because I got started on the outro before I realized that we hadn't done it. So here we go, everybody. Oh, Summer's Rules. Yes, I agree. Summer's Rules. Uh, boy, I have a lot. Um, oh, and here's one. Matt, I order you not to mention Vettel's steering wheel lever. We didn't talk about it at all, but that's because I think we're both of the opinion it basically does nothing, right? Yeah, it's a negligible effect that only Vettel can get. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's it, it's it's a big thing that's not a thing at all. Uh, can't Carlos Slim simply buy Force India just everything they need? Well, that's the easiest way to become a millionaire. Start out in Formula One as a billionaire, so I don't see that happening. Um, but here, here are the serious ones. Ray Parker, an MGU-H weighs exactly 0. 0.016 spanners. <laughs> yeah that's a winner andy whitney metallurgist here definitely free the alloys um and also andy whitney i don't get why spanners makes fun of summer's voice he could narrate sarah and duck and my kids would love it so there you go there's maybe a second career for you you could be a formula one technical expert and children's book narrator I could give it a try. Uh, they might fall. They'd fall asleep, so it'd win either way, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's kind of the when you're a parent with small children. This is entirely the point. This is what you want to happen. Uh, New European, why don't they just stick feathers on the cars? They have proven their efficiency for eons. Um, Philip Allen, Red Bull has wings already, and Darren Buckle, of course, the highest form of flattery is having your stuff banned by the FIA and the winner clearly has to be Ray Parker. Congratulations, Ray. You are this week's winner of Comment of the Week with your comment and MGUH weighs exactly 0.016 spanners. Well done, everybody. Thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 